We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How about I go ahead and address the larger than average elephant in the room? No, I have never coached the sport that you folks call football. And heck, you could fill two internets with what I don't know about football. <laughs> Hold on now. If I were to get fired from a job where I'm putting cleats in the trunk of my car. You got the boot for putting boots in the boot. <laughs> I love that. You know what the happiest animal on earth is? It's a goldfish. You know why? No. Got a 10-second memory. Be a goldfish, Sam. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. It is episode 10, the finale of our Ted Lasso rewatch, the Emmy-nominated Ted Lasso, all the Emmy nominations. Joining me, as always, my co-host on this Ted Lasso ride, it is the one, the only Alex McDaniel. Alex, how are you doing tonight for the finale? I'm good. I'm sad it's ending, though. This has been fun for me. I'm also very, very sad it's ending. It's it's a sad episode to end on, but luckily the day we're recording, we have 10 days until season two, so, uh, so light at the end of the tunnel. And we teased at the end of last episode that we had a special guest joining us for the finale. We have delivered. It is uh, the one, the only, the host of Shutdown Fullcast and the new Venture Channel 6. It is Spencer Hall. Spencer, thank you so much for joining Big Screen Sports. No, no, I'm very excited about this. <laughs> because uh, watching Ted Lasso 400 times, I think, became a sort of mandatory coping mechanism for the year of COVID. And um, I mean, that's cool. It's nice that I had an excuse. I probably would have done it anyway. I think we all would. It's cheaper than therapy, and it might be better than therapy. Uh, <laughs> Ted Lasso is amazing. Spencer, Ed, we start off every podcast promoting the other shit we have going on. And I just recently gave you some money. So tell the folks why I gave you some money and why they should give you some money. Well, I appreciate that. But of course, like you're going to get it back in the form of a dollar a thing, which is uh, Holly Anderson and I have started our new channel, Channel 6. It's going to be um, us writing or talking or making stuff that um, about anything we really want to. But, you know, mostly games, mostly sports, mostly things that go boom. Um, We, you know, have already written about, let's see, Edwin Edwards was today writing about Louisiana's most scandalous governor, which is saying a lot. (laughs) um and uh also wrote about uh also wrote about michigan and about why you know how to talk about scandals and uh occasionally posting the odd game review wrote about the greatest football game of all time which is of course 2017 south florida versus central florida you know it's not a real party unless it's an american conference party um a lot of what you've come to expect and a lot of what you haven't 
all for yes just a dollar a thing ten dollars a month or a hundred bucks for the whole year we're in the age where you got to pay for it and that's great i'm happy to pay for that like i subscribe to these things all the time so i'm more than happy to ask the same especially when um we're going to give you a tremendous amount of stuff including and i promise eventually an entire piece which is just um us marketing for the city of jacksonville for them that's really what i want to do (laughs) is just come up with a bunch of slogans for jacksonville because I, I really it. like Jacksonville, but I also really like making fun of Jacksonville. And that's an important <laughs> that's an important distinction, right? I think like the good place only started to scratch the surface. Have either of you seen Cat Williams' hot fifteen minutes on Jacksonville? Mm-hmm. I have not. It might be ten minutes. It's in his latest uh, stand-up special. It is spectacular. It is Cat Williams speaking authoritatively and with knowledge about the city of Jacksonville, and I mean like naming specific spots. And ragging on Jacksonville, like absolutely hounding Jacksonville and making fun of it, but doing it from an affectionate, very like he's calling out places that are local haunts, right? Individually going like, oh, yeah, you should go to like, you know, Bubs on on 17th Street, right? Because that's a great place to go get robbed. Everyone's (laughs) like, yeah, that is a great place to go get robbed. Yeah, that's great. Is that how like someone can talk shit about their college football team with love and a personal? You have like the personal knowledge, like they've harmed you, but you still have that that deep love for them that you just cannot explain. Yeah, no, it's. I, I think that's that's my favorite kind of that's my favorite kind of satire and or uh, just making fun of anything is if you do it from a real point of affection. If you're going okay, I am going to absolutely torch you, but I'm going to do it so precisely. Uh, that it indicates that one, I've probably spent a lot of time with it, and two, I probably actually like it, right? Like if I'm if I'm doing this, we're all in on the joke because I'm in on the joke. I'm the one yes. who's I'm the one who's making fun of you, right? Like that's like Roy and Ted Lasso. Um, it is to me when he is when he, when oh, Nate when Nate ends up making fun of him and then it gets very sincere that's like the way nate roasts people in ted lasso is exactly the way i would want to do things because it's very sincere but it's also very pointed the best comedy is rooted in love it's rooted in truth uh spencer i've been a very happy subscriber of of you and holly's adventure so far so i'm i'm very much looking forward to everything else you have coming up alex it's the 10th time you have to do this promote your other podcast you got to knock this one out of the park I hate this so much. So have you ever thought about playing a tabletop game, but then you're like, I don't feel like it. I'll just listen to a podcast of people doing it. So that's what we do over at Ain't Slayed Nobody. It's um, a Call of Cthulhu podcast. There's dice, there are characters. I don't use an accent, but other people do. It's great. Follow us at Ain't Slayed. (laughs) Best one yet. And if you're a baseball fan... Go check out my interview series from Phenom to the Farm. It's presented by Baseball America. It comes at you every other Tuesday. Just interviewed former South Carolina ace Michael Roth to talk about the College World Series. One of my favorites. And we will pause. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. But okay, it is time to get into it. Uh, Ted Lasso, episode 10, the finale, The Hope That Kills You. Richmond plays a climactic match that will determine the fates of Ted and his club. This one is in, this whole season has been an emotional roller coaster. Uh, this episode is the perfect encapsulation of that. Spencer, I want to defer to you because Alex and I did this when we first started the show, but what was your experience with Ted Lasso? When did you first watch this finale? Were you watching week by week? Did you do a binge? How did this come about? Binge, straight binge. I, I think I started at like 11 p.m. and thought I'll just watch an episode before bed and at five in the morning or whatever, uh, whatever the total runtime is, I, I finished it. That's and then immediately did the yeah immediately did the deranged thing where you end up telling everybody oh hey um i don't have much sleep and i'm sure i'm gonna make a great case you should watch this show <laughs> that's how alex spent her entire last year yeah the past year of my life has just been please trust me it's really good i didn't binge it though i watched it as it came out which was torture and so with that experience alex with the you had a week to wait for this finale how did you the first time you saw it how did you take that in and especially knowing you didn't even know if there was going to be a second season. Yeah. So there's a thing in my life where the most significant things that have happened to me have happened in October. And it's really weird. Like my parents went on their first date in October. My birthday's in October. My son's birthday's in October. Good and bad things have all happened in that month. And so this finale was on, I think, October 2nd last year. So I get in this mood at the start of the month where I'm like, something's either going to go really well or really poorly. And I think I was just kind of in a mood that morning. And I, of course I was watching it at like 5 a.m. because I didn't want any spoilers. And I remember watching it. And especially when you get to the end and you think, oh my God, they won. And then it occurs to you, like, there's no way this is going to have a second season if they won. And then Jamie comes in and makes the extra pass. And I just sobbed. I thought it was great. I think it was the finale that really um, kind of solidified for me that I just wanted to harass people into watching it more than just saying, Hey, this is a good show. It was suddenly like, you have to watch this right now. It'll change your life. And the finale was so amazing that I think there probably would have been a riot if there was not a second season, because this is the one thing over the past. It's the only thing over the past year that I think has unanimous approval. It's like at like 99.5% approval rating. I haven't heard one single person even say that, no, it, you know, it was fine. It's, it's all like, even my mom hates everything. And she liked this show. <laughs> shout out to your mom. <laughs> shout out, shout out my mom, I guess. Uh, but um, <laughs> so opening questions, uh, we've been doing this every episode, some sort of, you know, Kickstarter, either about the episode or the, the season in total. Alex, I'll defer to you on this one. What is your your opener for this episode? What's the worst loss you've ever had to watch alone? Oh, that's an interesting wrinkle because that was my question was also what is your just your most painful sports loss? But watch alone is an interesting, interesting we don't have dynamic. <laughs> Spencer, I'll defer to you on that one. Mm, God, that is... 
I mean, as a Florida, like I'm a Florida Gators fan primarily. So I really, I don't have many, um, you know, we tend to win a lot and just enough <laughs> to be frustrated and just enough to be frustrating. Like, it's not like being an Alabama fan, but like, it's not that rough. The worst one I've had to watch alone. Um, it was probably, I'm also a United States men's national team fan and watching us lose to Germany. And I believe that was 2002. I had to just sit at the bar and watch us eat shit. And that was awful because we weren't winning that game. We weren't that good. They were going to smoke us. And there were a couple of near calls. And it, it what sucks about that is just knowing that it's going to happen. Not that, you know, not, oh, hey, we're going to give it a try. Just knowing that the foot of the universe is on your neck and it's not going to get off for about 90 minutes. The solo bar loss is tough. That's a, that's a tough one. Yeah. So mine. So this is technically also is one I watched alone because I was alone in the room. It was uh, it was January of 2000. I had that that year I had fallen in love with college football via Michael Vick and the Virginia Tech Hokies. I was living in living in Richmond. Uh, my parents actually went to the national championship game. My grandma came down and stayed with me. And, you know, I knew I had watched all the Hokies games. I didn't know the names Chris Rinke or Peter Warwick at that time. And after four quarters, I certainly knew who Peter Warwick was. And I was devastated because I thought Michael Vick was the best player in the world. And I thought we'd definitely win this game because I had only known victories. And it was devastating. So much so that I was crying watching it in my parents' bedroom. And my grandma came in and told me that it was only a game. And I yelled at her and said, and I was like eight, nine years old. And I said, no, it's not, grandma. And that is one of the last memories I have with my grandma is yelling at her. Jeez, this got so dark. I was right, though, because they have not been back to a title game. And it does not look like they will get back anytime soon. So it was not a game. You hear that, grandma? You hear that? Peter Warwick hurt me, and she needed to understand that. That oh man hurt me very badly that night. Uh, Alex, I will kick it to you. What is the, your most painful solo sports loss? Ole Miss, Arkansas 2015. The worst loss I've ever watched, period, I think, in terms of being physically ill afterward. But I was sick that day because normally I would have been in Oxford with my family. And I was sick. I think my son was sick. So we just stayed in Birmingham. And I was like, well, I'll just watch it on TV. And he was asleep and we were going to win until we weren't. And then fourth and 25 happened. I really can't talk about it. I get so angry when I think about it. And it's been cannot, six years. I cannot I imagine so- having the only person you had to talk to was God. That's how. Because <laughs> no one was answering my texts. Oh, talking <laughs> to like, God no. about Ole Miss football. No, um, no, he's not. He's not picking up the phone. <laughs> 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 he doesn't like to listen but yeah that's the worst possible scenario for me i think that's not what you want well we no, i guess not. after 10 episodes it kind of makes sense that we'd have basically the same question so spencer i'll kick to you did you have an opener that you wanted to hit us with mm, in the form of a in the form of a question related to this episode um i would do this um what is your favorite trick play name Real or imagined. Ooh. Because this episode is full of them. There are some that are actually mentioned by name, and then there are others that, that are on the board 
that don't even get uh don't even get mentioned they just made up so many ridiculous names for trick plays just because they could so you know what is your favorite if you have a trick play so i i like the play i like the name for this play because it was something that when you grow up playing baseball, you get taught this play. And it was something that I think it was either Miami or Wichita State did in the College World Series. But in, in somehow it has gotten dumbed down to being called the Bad News Bears play, where you fake a pickoff, but you fake it as if it has gone into the outfield. They did this in the movie Little Big League to perfection. It has <laughs> gone into the outfield and everyone starts screaming and the runner takes off. They did this to, to Ken, sweet Ken Griffey Jr. actually in that movie. And then you know the pitcher still has the ball and they tag him out. And it's like, oh, you got fooled. And somehow it's the Bad News Bears play, except they didn't run the play in the Bad News Bears. So I, I don't know how that has gotten how it's gotten the name for that. But that's that's my favorite combo of trick play and name. So from the show, I would say uh, Beckham's Todger, <laughs> which is, you know, slang for dick. So I think that's brilliant. And then I love how you said real or imagined, because for some reason in my head, I just immediately thought about Lane's clipboard. And I think I think you're going to see that this season. I think there's going to be a play called Lane's clipboard. I'm just saying. Lane's, Lane's clipboard is... Um... I enjoy that that he could actually have a trick play simply by being interesting on the sideline. That he alone would be a uh, that that he would be his own yes. uh, element of a trick play. My favorite of all time is, uh, is still circus. Circus is Boise <laughs> State's game winning play against Oklahoma from the 2007 Fiesta Bowls because it's just like a, a, it shouldn't have a long name. It shouldn't be like annexation of Puerto Rico. Yeah. Right. Like they just got out there and Jared Zabransky went circus. And if you're the defense, that sucks. Cause you're a circus and you go, Oh no, that could be a lot of shit. That could be anything. <laughs> right. Like I could, I could like, I don't know what to expect when I hear circus, you could let an animal loose on the field for all I know. All I know is that True. like, I'm 270 pounds playing defensive line and you're about to make me move in an unpredictable fashion. I don't like that. I don't like it at all. <laughs> I love that. And That's of course, shouts to the lasso special, which we're going to get into. Let's get into best scene. I, I went into this podcast rewatch with the idea of maybe limiting it to like three or four scenes per episode. And Alex, I would say that each episode we talk about 90% of the scenes in, in every single one of these episodes. And this one is going to be no different. Starting out with, with Precious Nate getting promoted. Eight episodes ago, he was getting bullied. And now he's getting promoted and the whole team is behind him. It is... Alex, I know you loved it. I know you love <laughs> sweet, precious skincare god Nate. Precious forty-one-year-old Nate. Who the hell are you? Oh, hi, hello. I'm uh, I'm Will. I'm the new clubhouse attendant. No, you're not. I'm the clubhouse attendant. Hey, Higgins, where are you? Ted, what the fuck's going on? I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out myself. Figure what out? Have you been sacked? Has he been fired? I, I don't know anything about this, Ted. Oh, there you are. There you are. Right. Is this because of cold eyes? It could pussy. I will. I Good know. morning, yeah, everyone. You shrew. You did this, didn't you? Why so hostile, Nathan? Right, I'll tell you why. You know my name? Well, I had to spell it correctly for your contract. Hey, dog, you haven't been fired. It's worse. You've been promoted. Yeah, no, I, I love how he calls Rebecca a shrew. <laughs> I think that's my favorite part of that you scene. Shrew. He goes after her. Um, no, it's so sweet. We've watched Nate this whole time, and he's evolved and, you know, come into himself, which is kind of the classic Ted Lasso storyline anyway, and... It's just, it's adorable. 
I'm glad they started with that. I thought it was really smart. It cuts the tension, I think, because you know you know the big game is coming up because in the episode before we had the whole thing about Roy getting benched and Jamie's coming back and stuff like that. And having that that light moment before, it's like the 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 fun little thing that you can all smile about before you, you go to like Omaha Beach or something. It's <laughs> it cuts the tension. Lord Almighty. It's true though. Spencer, thoughts on the Nate promotion? That I think this episode is interesting because there are a lot of beats to hit. They have a lot of things to pay off and they have a lot of circles to complete. Um, because, you know, if, if you've, if you've written anything, you you know, that goes longer than like 800 words, what you have to do is you have to go back and go, well, did I, did I fix this? Did I get this? Did I get this? Right. So much so that like the most famous things in, you know, stories or literature are things that are unfinished that, that people just forgot about. Like we, the big sleep. We remember the big sleep because Eddie Mars uh, gets killed on like page two and nobody ever figures out the killer. Like Raymond Chandler just forgot it. Right. <laughs> so when the writer, I just want to know how the writers got like sat down and they're like, okay, well, how do we get this payoff? How do we get this payoff? How do we get this payoff? And how do we do it in like 24 minutes? Yeah. 26 minutes or whatever. However, like it's not a lot of time. So they got to hustle and they got to hustle fast. Um, it's, it's what a lot of finales are. Um, in that they do it, but the emotional payoff actually happened like two episodes ago. Like Nate, Nate becomes, you get a nice little secondary boost when Nate becomes a coach. Nate became a coach the minute he was asked to criticize the entire team. That's when Nate really fully comes into himself. This is just putting a dot on it, right? And you know, also giving like Coach Beard and Ted a great moment in the scene, in the show where the scene where they bring the whistle up, but simultaneously they're doing the thing that lets you know that that these two dudes like that Brendan and Jason did a lot of improv together, right? <laughs> they, they're, they're singing this angelic noise when they bring up the whistle. That's there. There are all these little things there that like everybody on the show is on another level and they're all working at like peak performance. Those two, those two are doing something else because yeah. everybody has a rapport and then they've got that, right? It's why Howdy Neighbor works. Right. Yeah. It's why all of their little asides work, because there's a lot of reps behind that. It's an incredible chemistry dynamic. And it's something that we've talked about throughout the season that Ted needed someone who is on his level, understands who Ted is in a per, as a person and believes in Ted, because if it had just been Ted sent to England, then we would be a little skeptical of we wouldn't we would be a little unsure of the, if all this is going to work and he's really like worth his salt. And he's got Beard there as his straight man with the chemistry who believes in him just as much as we do. And it justifies how all in we are in this guy. And they're, I mean, those those two lead the show and it carries it and it gives us this incredible level of believability and just general enjoyment watching those guys on screen together. And the fact that he pushes back, him being close enough to him to push back. I mean, everybody has had some sort of aggression toward Ted at some point, except for Nate, really. Um, but you know, especially toward the end of the season where we see um, Beard open up more and we see his frustration about the fact that Ted doesn't seem to care about wins or losses. And he's telling him, if we don't make something happen here, everything we've built is for nothing. And I think to me, that's those are the best moments between them is watching that tension. But you believe it. It's believable. And that chemistry ends up spreading the whole team. Yeah, there's another circle that closes. And then one of the circles that closes when Beard pushes back on him in episode nine and says, you know, who did this to you? Me. You know, you, you did this to me, right? 
you yeah. did this to me and now you say you don't want to win and then you see in the scene in ted's apartment right where he's like well how do we win how do we win <laughs> you know ted is ted's having a late night session we don't actually see a lot of the the nuts and bolts of running a team and we don't really see a lot of the x's and o's or a lot of the sort of basics of how they play soccer um you don't even see them pulling a lot of late nights that's the late night they pull right that's one of the few you see that doesn't happen at a pub it happens at you know ted's house but that's yeah. another sort of completion of the circle is him going okay yeah we want to win we, we want to stay up right so how do we do that and it's funny because the show hasn't been about winning you you've you obviously you want Ted to succeed, but majority of the show has not been as much about winning on the field as it has been just Ted helping the this team emotionally grow and come together. And now that he's achieved that in full, it's like, oh shit, we we actually we need to win. And you you're all in, even though you haven't given too much of a shit about this team winning the entire season. Suddenly it's like, nope, now we now we gotta win. We can't get relegated. We can't watch our man Ted lose. That game planning scene is fun and also the most potentially the most authentic line in the series' history. The, the, the entire season is when Ted talks about uh, looking in front of the mirror and rationalizing being too tired to floss, which is, is uh, I felt that on a, <laughs> on, a very, on a very personal level from Ted. Uh, Alex, what did you think about the game planning scene? Oh, I love it. I love, it's so fun to watch Jason in that scene too, because he's like kind of losing it. You know, he's like screaming, he's running around the house and everything else. And it's, it kind of reminds me of the scene with him and Roy. I guess it was an episode or two back when they're in the kitchen and he's a little drunk. Um, but yeah, you know, he's exasperated. And what does he call him? Like Nelson's? He's like, you're a Nelson mm-hmm. and you're a Nelson. <laughs> I think it's like some of his best work where you can, it's not the typical like platitudes and let's just be as positive as possible. Like he's really stretching here to try to get some answers. And I love it. I think Jason does a great job there. Yeah. Also, that's a division. Like you'll notice Ted is at his, he's at his most vulnerable when he's uh, out of the office. Like that's, you know, he, the, like the yeah. few scenes where you see him at home, um, you realize that Ted actually does sort of have a slightly different persona when he's at home. He's more relaxed. Yeah. He's a little more genuine. Um, and that's, again, these are things that you don't really, we don't spend a lot of Ted time with Ted at home outside of like the first two or three episodes. And then like the last episode or two where he's talking to Roy, but like, he has that coach's thing where he understands the context of where he's sitting at all times, like literally where he's sitting. Like that's in episode nine, when he tells Roy that he's benching him um, where he's sitting is a whole gag uh, where he's sitting in Rebecca's office is always important. Is he sitting right in front of her or is he sitting back on the couch? Right. What kind of a conversation are we having? He always understands the context of where he is, which, you know, whether that's a conscious or an unconscious thing that the writers do, that's something that is very true to coaching. Um, the best coaches that I know, the most effective ones, always understand where they are on the board in terms of the kind of move they make and who they're talking to, you know, what kind of language to use and how to use it. You know, that's extrapolating a lot from like a very, very small scene, but it's the kind of thing that like, rings true that's something that that's something that i think the best coaches do in in any situation by the way for fun go watch the way monty williams of the suns talks to his players very ted lasso-ish very yeah yeah that deandre ayton moment that that's exactly what i was talking about right because what does he do he gives him he goes okay x's and o's actual advice and then he like tells him hey look at me because ayton's like kind of down right deandre ayton looks up 
And he goes, you set this ball, you know, you set this level to yourself and that's great. Now go find it. You know, he keeps him like, <laughs> and it is the cheesiest thing. But after watching this show, I believe in it like that much more. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's almost corny to say the whole thing about the best coaches make players believe in themselves or make them feel good. But part of that is true. Sports is so mental. I mean, obviously it takes incredible physical skills and, and knowledge of strategy and things like that. And the X's and O's are very important, but Sports is so mental and so emotional and so much of who is feeling good about themselves and who is not. And Ted Lasso brings that in spades and he brings that to us as a viewer. It's why we like the show so much because we feel so good about ourselves and about about humanity in general, just watching this man operate for, you know, for six hours. And it, that's why it struck so much of a chord with people. Um, and, and you're exactly right that he's he's different at home. Uh, Alex, no, no peanut butter in this one, I don't think. You can see Ted fishing out the fishing out the peanut butter. The weirdest thing to me. I love it. It's just it's it's always going to be just something that sticks out to me. But I'm not here to talk negatively about the show. I just want to understand the peanut butter better. We get back to the board with something Spencer was talking about earlier with the trick plays, uh, where they're they're throwing out those suggestions. Something I really liked. I love. It's something that they've done that Ted has done a couple times in this in this um in this season is ask ask around let's 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 all pitch in ideas let's all buy in and feel a part of this and stuff like that and you hear all these fun trick play ideas while the globetrotters music is playing which is just a just a real mm-hmm. nice real nice touch yet again the show does not miss per usual now, the idea behind every trick play is to have chaos rain down upon your opponents and stun them much like the lava did to those poor folks in Pompeii. So I want you all to think about every single trick play you have ever run your entire time playing this sport. Anybody got one? Yeah, Danny, what do you got? Uh, when I played for Tigres, we had a great set piece. Did it have a name? The Sandman. Yeah! <laughs> now we're cooking the Sandman. We're gonna learn that play today. Who else got one? Pepper Shakers. Pe- pepper Shakers? Yeah, plural, yeah, me too. Beckham's Todger. Beckham I know, Todger I don't know. It's dirty. Okay. Midnight Poutine. Poutine. That's not dirty. It's just super Canadian. Yeah, uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Oh, with Dick Van Dyke, the owner of one of the most authentic English accents in the history of cinema. Yeah, I don't. That whole scene, there are there are a lot of little details where everybody gets to. I, I like scenes like this where people get to just uh, sort of list absurd non-existent things it's a great comedy skit it's a great like improv <laughs> act again this is like improv where they're like okay just we'll build on this theme tell me the most insane thing you could think of and they're just throwing these things out throwing these things out but you get to do great asides everybody's little asides all fit together and they all fit by character right the best and pardon me because i forget the character's name and the actor but in the back when he says the leaky tap or the leaky faucet right and he's like <laughs> And he's like, well, why, you know, why, why are you going to call that? You know, because Man City's going to leak a lot of goals. And he points. It's like the best little detail. He goes like, huh? Oh, sort of extends his hand and gives this like look of total confidence. And it's the, the it's one of my favorite things, too, because that rings true, because like there's such jock confidence in that. Right. Even teams that know they're going to lose find something to be super confident about. That's I talked to like the greatest story I never did as a sports writer ever was I decided not to go to Appalachian State with the Appalachian State team for the 2007 Appalachian State Michigan game where Appalachian State in the opening game of Michigan's 2007 season and of App State season upset them in the big house (laughs) on the first game ever broadcast on the Big Ten Network. Um, I had sideline access with them and was going to go 
but I was like, ah, it's probably not worth the money. I'm not going to go. <laughs> and shout out Armani like, Edwards. Yeah. And I did a pre-interview with Armani and or the running back. And he said, yeah, man, last year we played LSU, you know, we, we took out their, we took out our starters before they did. I went back and looked, they lost like 24, seven, 24, 10, something like that. But you know, they, the point of pride was that like, Hey man, we, we put it in neutral before they did. Yeah. That's, they always find something to be confident about. And I love that, that there is a very, very jockey, casual confidence in everything that they're doing. I don't think they totally get the athlete side of this, you know, right all the time and by that i mean no one on the cast can run like nobody like don't don't talk to any soccer people about soccer scenes do not because especially british ones because they're all universally negative about everything even if yeah. they like the show they'll be like oh the running scenes are absolutely crap like nobody could do that but that part that part's totally authentic yeah the two games where they this game and then the game that they win in liverpool it's this game is a little more about the X's and O's, but especially the one in Liverpool, it's just all about confidence. It's all about bringing these guys out of a funk and doing something that they don't think they can do, um, which is, you know, it's Ted kind of Ted kind of says that early in the season as he talks about, you know, I what can he do well or what can he help these guys with? And it's not the X's and O's or knowing the, the best soccer plays and stuff like that. It's making these guys believe in themselves. It's why he's got that tap sign, which is wonderful. And in this scene also, he gives us another pop culture reference. Alex, we get another one. The uh, the Dick Van Dyke Cockney accent appreciation from Ted Lasso. What does he call it? The greatest British Both accent in the history authentic. of <laughs> You know, when it comes to that confidence, I have so many memories of like Ole Miss football in the mid 2000s when it was very sad. Um, and my dad always had a saying because I would get so frustrated and I was a college student at the time. And I'm like, why do we do this? Every week we do the same thing. I'm just tired of being a fan of a team that loses. And, you know, my dad, he was born in 46. Like he grew up in the golden era. So to him, like that's what he held on to. Right. And I remember one day he just kind of sat back and looked at the wall. And then he looked at me and said, they're not going to win every game. They're going to lose most of them. But on any given Saturday, almost just might whip your ass. <laughs> and that was it. That was what we held on to. And I still say that today. And I think coming from, you know, we have, we've had considerably better success in recent years, depending on which years you're talking about. Um, but I think when you're at a school like that, that's why they cling so much to the tailgating. That's why they cling to, you know, Lane's insane, no matter what happens. Like we love him as a coach. It's because we don't have much to cling to, but we're still very confident about the things we, we do have. Has it, is this the truest it's ever been with, with what your dad said that Ole Miss might just whip someone's ass on, on Saturday. Is this, this is like the most might whip someone's ass Ole Miss thing. Cause like in the, those, those good Huey years, you almost kind of expected them to, to whip a lot of ass. Like with this, this lane team could blow someone out of fucking Oxford in two seconds, but they could also get blown out of Oxford in two seconds themselves. Yeah. You never know. You never know what's going to happen. <laughs> you just pray. I think, I think last year was this fellow's going to be interesting at the party, but he also might um, ruin your carpet. Yes. And, and this year is just a bigger version of that. You just go, well, you might have a better time or you might have an even worse time. Like I, to me, it's the same team just with bigger parameters because <laughs> frankly, they might score more points, but that increases the variance of potential points allowed. 
if they score 35, it means that they might allow 52. If they score 52, it means they might allow 72. That's just how football with possessions works. Yeah. It's going to be yeah. great. It's going to be. <laughs> I'm really you looking Matt Corral. You have You have Matt Corral, and I like I will say this I will say this hopefully on the SEC network this falls many po- times as I possibly can I'm just going to pitch people at Matt Corral left and right people go is he a good NFL quarterback and I'm like I don't care <laughs> doesn't matter cuz I get to see what he does on Saturday which is whatever he wants it's incredible it's incredible stuff it's like Chad Kelly but not as problematic which we yet. like well, we we like that we'll take that yet we'll never, see never say never on that <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of something incredible, Alex, when you see Jamie and Roy sitting at Keeley's kitchen table over over coffee, what is the uh, what what was your reaction to that scene in that in that breakdown? Roy in his in his underwear in some tidies. Was he? I didn't even notice that he was. Yes. Well, I I did. Uh, Roy was wearing some very some very short <laughs> underwear, showing a lot of thigh. Uh, which power move when your girlfriend's ex-boyfriend shows up and you're just like, I'm not putting on pants. Oh yeah, Roy, Jamie's coming over. Oh, is he? So I make scones? I don't like scones. I'm not making scones, you idiot. Good, because I don't even like them. What's that? I made you coffee. Well then what's this? I brought you coffee. Right, Jamie, what was it that you wanted to talk about? I'm not going to say it in front of this dry old shit. Why? He won't say anything, will you? Missed. Ted Lasso's trying to play fucking mind games with me, saying nice shit about me on the telly, trying to get in my head. He does like you. You're as full of shit as he is. Oi, mind your fucking manners. All right, Robocop. Jamie, not everyone in your life is out to get you. I am. What? Thought you respected honesty. That's the thing. I was trying to think if I've been in that situation before with a current boyfriend and an ex. And I, I have once. And it was the most awkward thing in the world. I don't recommend doing that ever. You know, even if everybody's on good terms, it's still just so uncomfortable. And you're just sitting there like, both of you have seen too much of me. And we don't need all of this in common. And that's usually what I think when I watch that scene. But um, I love the, you know what's this? I made you coffee. Then what's this? I brought you coffee. To me, that really sums up a lot of um, the difference between what she got out of those relationships. And or she's very comfortable in the Jamie. moment too. She's not, this isn't fretting her at all for the most part. No, I love, I love her. I love Keely. Keely is, is kind of bulletproof and you can tell she's bulletproof by having a lot of very bad experiences being her. Yeah. Being like, a tiny adorable you know very bubbly and much smarter than one might assume right like that that like the the like majority of sexes she deals with do not know how absolutely brilliant that lady is yeah and will assume the worst of her right like that's one thing that roy roy never does that like roy straight up everyone he meets except for jamie he treats exactly the same way you know, and that's why he's the man in the briefs and socks sitting at her table for breakfast. Yeah. And Jamie is not. And we see Jamie has a little bit of Michael Jordan in him. And just in the sense of, and I took that personally. 
because and, and, <laughs> and Keeley harps on him for that and that not everyone is out to get him. But we as we see, we've gotten a little glimpse of it earlier in the, the episode where they're all burning stuff in the trash can. And then later in this episode, a lot of that of Jamie comes from having a all time bad sports dad, just probably top five worst fictional sports dads ever for Jamie, as we see in this one. I, I about the scene. The it, I think it, it's impossible to talk about that scene without talking about where Jamie is in general in this because it's one of those loops that they close and it's one of the things that makes it a very satisfying finale. And it's one of the things that might be lost on, I think, the general American viewer who's not really thinking too much about this. Um, they think a lot about class if they're watching Bridgerton or if they're watching Downton Abbey. They don't think about it if they're watching Ted Lasso and they probably should because it makes Jamie even more of a sympathetic character. He's sitting in the barber shop, right? Saying, you know, pomade. I'm a pomade man now. <laughs> because we see Jamie taking little steps, right? Like this is like guys will do anything other than go to therapy, right? Like the Twitter <laughs> joke of, you know, guys will get pomade rather than go to therapy. Yes. And maybe Jamie's going to therapy. I hope he is. But like the step toward pomade, that's a little step up for him. He gets in this awkward scene with one of the best recurring, you know, crowd characters yeah. in the show, which is the posh twat. The Ussie yeah. right? guy. The Ussie guy, right? Um, and in it, that guy is that guy is essentially the voice for everything that Jamie has ever heard because that guy doesn't have to worry about money that get for everything, you know, like the class divide illustrated in that scene and referred to in episode three and four for Jamie when he's like, I made it out of council housing, right? Yeah. Like I made it from nothing. I made it from the projects in England all the way up to the Premier League. He's lonely. Yeah. He's isolated. He doesn't have many, if any, peers. In fact, the irony is like one of his few peers is probably Roy Kent, who himself is very lonely, like very isolated because they both come from working class backgrounds. So when that posh, when the, the Pashi comes in and says that one of the most satisfying things is it, Jamie's struggling with reaching out to people, but he still does it. Remember? Cause he reaches out to Keely in that scene, right? The scroth. Yeah. Pomade. Yeah. And he actually texts Ke and he texts her and says, Hey, can, can I come over? Doesn't immediately balk when he sees Roy sits there says his piece, has the confidence to stay, but not be a dick. But also he throws the guy's phone, which I love, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, get out of here. Fuck off. He says, you know, fuck off. That's it. That, that's like with 99% with of the people in the world, that's who Jamie's going to be because he's that isolated, right? Yeah. Like even his hair, even his hair is the sort of like hardened presentation to the world, right? Alex, we've done a lot of ragging on Jamie this this season, but I feel like in season two, he's got more room for growth than than anyone. at the, like, And it could go a lot of different directions for him in season two. Yeah, I don't think I've ever watched a show before where I have been more clueless about what they're going to do with the storyline in season two. Just because, and I've tried to avoid, I have a lot of friends who are getting the screeners and like, good for them, <laughs> but thanks for bragging about it. But I'm trying to avoid all of that just because I, I want to go into it completely blind. Um, Cause I don't know. I don't know what they would do with that character. I don't, there are a lot of ways you could take it and all of them really. Um, but yeah, Jamie's, oh, he's just one of those, like he's not as hateable as Rupert, obviously. Um, and you do, you get enough glimpses into his background and his personality that you can, you can see human qualities in him. 
at least. But I think uh, his role in the finale is just huge. And especially how the show ends and his dad, you know, throwing the shoe and the fact that, you know, and everybody brings this up, but the fact that he won because of the extra pass, he won because of what Ted tried to teach him. I just, I don't want to say I love Jamie. I'm not there yet. I'm not there, but maybe this season we'll see. I, I full on love that dude because <laughs> he is, because he's talent, right? He's talent. Like that's, that's the one thing that the one person in the show who doesn't have to worry about whether they're going to make it or not. Yeah. Everyone else is kind of in between. Everyone else is under some real, like they, they're in real peril, right? Whether it's their career, whether it's their relationships and they don't have one thing that they can absolutely count on. Um, that isn't another person. So, you know, like Jamie, Jamie has talent. He's the one person in the show except for maybe Danny Rojas, who um, doesn't have to worry about where the paycheck's coming from. Everyone else, you know, like that scene where they're going over the goals and say, hey, teams get relegated, teams get broken up. Everyone in that room's worried about their job, about where they're going to be because they're not Jamie. Jamie, even though he is a, he's on the bench for Man City most of the time, right? Like that was the idea. He's on loan. And Man City finally gets interested in him. The joke being that, like, Jamie's the most talented guy on the roster um, uh, for, you know, for, oh, God, I have actually forgotten the name. Richmond. <laughs> um, so he's, you know, he's, like, the most talented guy on the roster at Richmond. But the joke is that the most talented guy on the on the roster at Richmond is the guy on loan. He's the guy that, you know, he's the guy that Man City was like, ah, I guess we'll take him back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we should we should get him back. That seems interesting. Yeah. You know, it's where he has to pass. That's the thing. Like the soccer gag is that that Jamie at Man City can pass and that dude will bury it. That wouldn't be the case at Richmond. Like if he passed at Richmond, there's no telling. Right. Because it's strongly implied that, I don't know, maybe Sam's hesitant. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe Sam's not quite uh, up to snuff to strike. Maybe Rojas will get injured the minute he slides, you know, but at, at, like I love that you can do that. You can play out the string of anything in Ted Lasso and go, oh, man, that carries all the way through. You mm -hmm. guys really thought this out because not only is that realistic, right, but that plays into their character and what they would do. By the way, Roy in that scene, the underwear scene in the kitchen where he's sitting there, not only does he throw an invisible key across <laughs> that Jamie dodges, by the way. this is That is the best little se most seamless scene in the entire finale right it's yeah. not actually the speech or anything right no the scene that actually works best and is the best performance between multiple actors is that scene because not only do they throw the key and he dodges it right and they have this great hateful rapport with somebody they really love who's sitting like in framed right there um it has a beautiful like circularity to it because on one side there's the guy that roy kent used to be on the other side there's what roy kent is now and he's wearing sushi socks if you look at his socks they are these goofy socks with pieces of sushi on them <laughs> you like to imagine that like phoebe bought him those or something like that a little, mm -hmm. little soft side of soft side of roy you mentioned being realistic and the <laughs> and the authenticity of this show and um alex i don't think both of neither of us have been to a premier league game spencer have That's... you been to an overseas yes yes because we we picked teams last week spencer have you been to an overseas soccer game i have i've been to a turkish league game I went to Galatasaray. Uh, I went to Galatasaray. Um, 
I will remember the name of the other team because I am blanking on it. But yeah, um, not Besiktas. There's three three big teams, and I will remember the other one. Well, but the yeah, running gag to, uh, Alex and I have had is that with these with these European and and foreign soccer teams, you can make up anything, and just we'll be like, yeah, that sounds like a team. That's see, that seems. Yeah. <laughs> That seems right. But mm-hmm. as you have attended a game like this, and then Alex, you and I, we both attended college football games. I love the pregame scene of watching the town get ready and people walk into the stadium and the patrons at the bar with, you know, Sweet May taking shots and how much this means. I am, it's not a whole lot goes on. You get that conversation between Rebecca and Keeley. But I love the scene of that preparation and that build before you go into the stadium with the team. It, it's I think it's really important because it's something that they've stressed through us for the entire season is how important this is to the town and how much this means to all these people. It's why Beard, you know, kind of freaks out in the last episode of like why winning is important. Winning is important because the happiness of this entire town rides on this game and them not getting relegated and you see you get that that increased anticipation with that i think it's a really effective you know bit of work shifting between all these different locales um it was a little bit different than the one i attended because it was galatasaray fenerbahce um which is literally a europe versus asia rivalry because istanbul straddles the you know straddles two continents uh and fenerbahce is like the, the like traditionally that's not really what they are now they're both just now they both just have money which happens with soccer clubs when they get massive TV contracts. One might be the working class. One might be the traditional, like upper class one. Eventually when they get money, everybody's just rich. And uh, the game I attended, it really very much had that. Um, mine was probably, I think the Richmond experience seems a little more tame than maybe the Fenerbahce Galatasaray experience because one, there were no Fenerbahce stand, fans in the stands because the match I attended, there was a fan ban. You could not travel to the uh, road game because of a brawl at a wheelchair basketball game between Galatasaray and Fenerbahce fans that involved flares being set off indoors and people being thrown out of wheelchairs and chairs flying everywhere and people being beaten bloody. Uh, So I didn't, I didn't get to see Fenerbahce (laughs) fans. So Richmond, Richmond FC versus uh, Man City, much milder. And I think most English club matches and most premier league matches are definitely a more laid back experience for the better because hey go look up the 80s <laughs> go, go read about go read about read among British the thugs hell. <laughs> go yeah go look at what happened after the final in the euros okay just now okay they're just lurking they're just waiting <laughs> there um i had guys on the subway when i was there setting off fireworks inside the car like just you know like a marta style car like a transit car and they're just setting off fireworks as big as like a human finger <laughs> that are like the windows rattling and they're passing out shots of rocky and vodka like yeah um definitely richmond fc is definitely not that party but the tribalism the togetherness of it yeah my experience was a lot like that element of it it was just kind of missing the armored uh the armored personnel carriers that were outside the Galatasaray Stadium. Well, there's always God. season two. One thing they might they might roll in the <laughs> tanks for season two. They got they're probably going to have more budget now. I know we're looking ahead, man. I can't wait for them to get into the, some of these championship teams because some of them are just the quirkiest little stadiums and weird teams like you know like Nottingham and 
Blackpool and all of these really cool teams that when you decide to pick an EPL team, you go, oh, hey, man, I'm going to take that quirky one. And then they get relegated. <laughs> and you're like, ah, that sucks. <laughs> I'm not going to follow them through like their 18 year journey through the lower intestine of English football so that they can claw their way up and be the you know last team in the Premier League for another three years before getting relegated. That's that sucks. That's why, like, if you're rooting for a Premier League team, I would always tell somebody, pick a good one. Don't pick one of the lower ranked ones. Don't. It sucks. It sucks. You'll have to find their games on some weird channel. You'll never know where they're playing. It's 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 ass. Like they're gonna have to deal with that next season. And I know that, you know, like Brendan and Jason are both such insane soccer fans that they know the nuances and the ins and outs and they can wink and nod at it without weighing it down with a bunch of like details, right? Like the exposition in Ted Lasso is so cool because they managed to to a lot of it feels like it's telling people who know sports who's watching the show, hey, we're going to do the part where we tell them the thing that you already know. <laughs> Aren't you smart for knowing that? Like they do like little massages, right? Like they call it the championship league, but it's lower than the premier league. And he goes, they also invented irony. There is so much there. And that's talking to so many different people at once. Right. Because ha 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 funny word joke, but everyone in sports is like, Oh yeah, man, the championship is this, you know, like I love that. Yeah. It works on so many different levels. Did y'all now y'all know what stadium they're playing in? I, I know this only because I have a friend. Is it, it's not crystal palace or is it Chris, it's Chris, Chris Palace? Palace. Yeah. I have I, I, one of my. I have a friend who is a Crystal Palace fan who was texting me today talking about Ted Lasso. He's just like, I'd like seeing that stadium, even though it's not my team playing in it. And I was like, Oh, cool! I didn't realize it was a real Premier League team stadium. How nifty! <laughs> little little payoffs everywhere. Who's the team that gets to eliminate or that gets to uh, potentially keep them up by winning six zero? It's Palace. Like that's. What a cool little like what a cool little shout out to like, hey, we used your stadium for all these shots. Y'all get to be the heroes. Here's some right? branding. I love it. A situation where Crystal Palace doesn't disappoint and also gets like a whopper of a six oh victory. That's that's great. <laughs> you love to see it. Something else that's great in this scene, and I, I think Alex, you have been championing the Rebecca Keeley friendship all year. They were your pick for who in this show you would like to go out with the most at a bar. Uh, this conversation in the pregame, Keely about not really, never really caring about football, but caring about this game. And yeah. you see Roy, what did that, especially about, you know, an hour ago when you were watching this, what did that do to you? I just, you know, you know, how I feel about Keely and Rebecca in general and Keely. I, I talk about this a lot, especially if I have to, well, I shouldn't say have to, especially if I get to go on podcasts where I talk about women and sports and just the relationship between it. And I, I talk a lot about how one of the things that really annoys me is that if you are a woman who's interested in sports, you are so pressured to know so much about things because you know that like you're going to get questioned in a bar. You know that if a guy finds out that, that you're a sports reporter or an editor, that he's going to start quizzing you. And there's not a lot of room for somebody like Keely who's into it, but she's not so into it, you know, and she's clearly there for Roy. Um, and so yeah, I think to me, that's just a great scene because she's fully admitting like, I'm not really into this stuff, but I will be today. Like, I'll be a fan today because I love Roy. I think it's great. In that scene behind them, <laughs> right? There are two really interesting things. One, it's strongly implied that there's some sort of like Gulf state investment Yeah. for that, right? Because there's a woman, like there's, there's somebody who obviously looks like they're from like the UAE or uh, Dubai or, you know, like 
cutter sitting somewhere over here. I love that because that's a very realistic, you know, EPL thing. They're like, so like Man City, like there's so much oil money, oil and gas money in the EPL and they just throw it in there like, oh, by the way, like, you know, if you're paying attention, you could just look over and notice that like, you know, there's also real money involved here. Like Rebecca's not the sole owner, which you already knew. You just don't know who else is on board. And I'm really looking forward in season two if there's like massive conflicts over that. Um, because that just seems like an easy, like interesting pull. The second is you get all you get all of Leslie's family, right? Like all of them. Higgins like whole family just rolling in behind them. And I love that because there are little trap doors in this show where they give you a character and then go, well, you may not have thought they were that interesting. And that's why you were wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like, here's our son, the priest. Here are these people who've had like five kids. (laughs) And had the priest out of wedlock. I love that line when Mm -hmm. she's like, you're born to parents out of wedlock. (laughs) So smart. So you can explore all of life's little gray areas. And then we get into the actual, the actual soccer, the actual football of it all, starting with, um, you know, Ted's speech, the Ted's first speech. Sudeikis gets to, he gets to cook a little bit in this one in the locker room. Uh, I mean, this the, the first, I believe in hope. I believe in believe. Sign me up. I'm ready to go run through a brick wall to play for, uh, to play for Ted Lasso in this yeah, game. Yeah, but Ted is also one. cheating, right? He's cheating. Yeah. Like Ted, Ted just, Ted plagiarizes <laughs> stuff left and right. <laughs> He play like he's not even plagiarizing Herb Brooks. He's plagiarizing <laughs> Al Michaels. Yeah. There, right? Just like he plagiarized uh Alan Iverson. Yep. And you know, except he's not even flipping that. It was kind of a brilliant flip of the Alan Iverson script. This he's just like, <laughs> hey, man, I'm just gonna do the whole Al Michaels speech, yeah. which I like that they don't let Ted get too lofty, right? Ted's yeah. just like, this sounds like something that will work. And <laughs> And it's cheesy as hell and borrowed, and yet it still carries water. Yeah. I love the Miracles reference. Is that Miracle thing from a movie or real life? <laughs> it's smart. It kind of hits both. I love it. Um, then we we get into the actual, you know, the actual match. We get into, I get, you know, the first, I think the most notable thing of the first half is that they keep it scoreless, uh, Beard <laughs> breaking down offsides by calling back to a conversation at the dinner table, which calls back to what Spencer was talking about earlier with the the chemistry between Sedakis and Brendan Hunt just being so next level. And there's always that they that running thing for the whole season is they always know what the other is talking about. There's always that reference point there. They go back, they have so much history that it just makes even that thing you you know right away, oh, they were breaking down soccer over the over the dinner table at some point in one of their late night bar sessions. Which that happened, right? Wasn't he re- Referencing the vinegar and the ketchup scene. Mm-hmm. I forget what, which episode that was. Yeah, he was. Uh, I believe it was when they, I think it was episode nine, where where they're talking at the table and and those right before Beard goes off on him and also stunts on the entire universe by <laughs> picking up a lady, you know, with a chess move. <gasps> I love her. Like, quite literally, she's toying with you. <laughs> I, I I was. The part in that scene too that I love is that that you see like the name of the episode is you know it's the hope that kills you right. Um, this is again where like soccer is like there's great thematic continuity between soccer, 
life and where Ted is, right? And where everyone in the show is because they come this close to scoring, right? With the Sandman, which sounds funny. Like, <laughs> that's just inherent. Like, how brilliant is that that they picked the, the inherently funny word, right? <laughs> when anyone says it, right? Like, Sandman. Like, when, when Danny Rojas says it. They come so close to scoring. And... And it's that sort of anticipation of something like that's that's one of the things that like as a sports fan, as somebody who watches a lot of soccer, I adored because, you know, there is it's impossible to play soccer and w- without emotion like that's I, I think there's at least like four or five major quotes where you're like soccer is a game of emotion. It's not a calculated game. It can't be because the good things are so few and far apart. Yeah, they really are. And, you know, the big moments, you know, there might be one there might be two in a match where, you know, you get this big moment of release. And it's like, what a beautiful metaphorical pairing with everything that's happening in everyone else's life. It's, it's hard to talk about without getting emotional. Like I can't, I can talk about football all day and not get like misty. I can't, I love it. I think it's really interesting, but that's a different emotion I'm channeling. If I'm talking about football, if I'm talking about soccer, it's, it's, it's limbic. Yeah. It's because, it is so spare in the moments of real release that when they happen, they're overwhelming. Yeah. You have no defenses against them. And I I love the way they script the match. Again, even if none of them can run. Like Jamie, <laughs> the actor who plays Jamie, cannot run a lick <laughs> at all. Well, in in an emotional moment, this something they script and something they do so well is and it's something that we've been building up to for a while, especially with last episode, is the you know when jamie's breaking down you know breaking down the field ready to score apparently not looking very good while he's running and <laughs> boy tracks him down here. It could be for Richmond. no one can catch him don't run out hold on can you believe it it's kent get the slide tackle you get the great callback of you know hey you know stay down let you know listen to him let him cheer for you and then Roy going into the stadium and and coming into the locker room by himself and it's not just a guy who got hurt and had to leave the game it's a year you just watched the last play in Roy's career and you know that Roy just Roy knows that that's the last play of his career he throws down his jersey He's staring at that locker because he knows it was just the last time that he took his jersey off in a game. And in a show, in a worse show that, you know, hadn't built up characters in that sort of way, you might not care as much. But this show has built up this much this much emotional collateral with us and has cashed in the chips in that moment. And we we feel Roy in that moment when when Keeley shows up. Like it just like what a goddamn moment. It's absolutely incredible. Alex, when Roy when Roy walks into the locker room. What did what did that bring out of you? For me, it's more about when Keeley walks in because it's like his last wall, right? That needs to come down. And we've watched this man evolve and, you know, kind of come into himself and certainly learn to trust Keeley. But his reaction at first, it's a little triggering because it's very aggressive. And he's like, you know, get the fuck away from me. And it's Keeley, right? So it, watching him finally have to tear that down and her just refusing to leave and also her realizing she doesn't have to say anything, but just be with him. I think it's one of the most beautiful scenes. Yeah. And Roy's told her to go before. Yeah. And she finally, like the tide turns. 
she realizes that the only way to get through to this dude is to just stake her claim. Mm-hmm. You know, it is, it is, it is a circle closed because remember, this is Roy has told her to leave on at least two other occasions. Yeah. Right. Or at least left the scene on two other occasions. And he's been the one who took her along on another when they go on a date. Mm-hmm. It's been Roy who's, you know, done the letting in. And at this point, you know, Roy, like what's what's been Roy's solace in his life? The locker room. And where's the one place that he'll no longer find that? It's the locker room. Yeah. So this is the last time there. And the person who's going to walk out with him is Keely. It's, it's beautiful. It's another little, it's another loop closed. It's another circle closed. Yeah. There's one before that, before he even gets off the field. And it's when earlier Sam had been injured laying on the field and Roy told him to ham it up a little bit, right? Don't get up immediately. Let the fans work the drama a little bit. Um, but the the other circle closes when earlier in the season, Sam is told to stay down on an injury by Roy as a pro move. Mm-hmm. bringing him along and mentoring him saying no 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 you got to milk this a little bit if you're a pro you got to let him you got you got to let him hear you got to let it, you know you want to hear the chance right and there's another little payoff because yeah. sam comes over and says no 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 don't get up listen and he gets to hear the roy kent cheer yeah it's so good y'all i'm not gonna cry on the podcast but i could also good i mean this the finale is firing on all cylinders because right after that we get the lasso special. And I think one of one of the the few things that the smartphones have brought into the society that's a good thing is that random kind of viral moment of when fans in a stadium find out about something happening before the players on the field. And the only thing I can think of off the top of my head is when Osama bin Laden died and and was you know was taken down and fans in baseball stadiums found out and started chanting USA and that was a big moment. This wasn't quite like that, but they find out about the Crystal Palace score. And suddenly all they need is a tie and they run out the lasso special. I don't watch any Premier League. I don't know the legality of that play, (laughs) but that makes me, that scene makes me so happy. Especially the announcer talks about like Sam going in motion and they start using football terms. And it's that it's probably the widest I've smiled all season. There's American football. What the fuck is this? What's he doing? I've never seen anything like this. Oh, goes in motion. If to confuse Manchester City, you have to say it's working. It's working on me too, Is yelling numbers and colors? players fan out. City's defense is in chaos. And it's a Hail Mary to Obi Sanya, who is wide open. Ruhas is all alone on the left. Yeah, it's a treat. Like, I, what does the announcer say? Now they're calling out colors and numbers. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. I remember watching it. And again, it's like the moment where you want it to tie up so neatly, right? You just want it because you're invested in them, but it's the same moment that, you know, they're not going to have anywhere to go really with this, if this is the end of it, but it's still, man, I was fired up first time I they watched all, it. 
also every character is exactly where they should be. Isaac is the one who calls it out. Isaac is the new captain. Isaac is also the one who I think is probably the most football player esque. Like mm-hmm. he's the one who I could definitely see playing like middle linebacker on a team. Um, you know, being the heart and soul and kind of the big meathead, the guy who throws chairs, yeah. right? The guy who breaks TVs. Like that's <laughs> that's Isaac. Uh, you know, Zoro is the goalkeeper. He's the, he's the QB in that case. You know, which he actually has to be because it's a free kick. But um, that's probably where he should be it sam gets to fulfill like sam sam catches like sam is the one who brings the ball down and passes um which is a culmination of everything like he's decisive he's quick he doesn't get beat he's he's exactly where he should be he gets to like fulfill his character's arc on the field right and uh the guy who catches it is denny rojas and of course he bike kicks it you know he bicycle kicks the winning goal right or the tying goal that that could have kept them up that's Everything is of a piece there, and it is all completely perfect. And that is also, like, again, really realistic EPL happenings on the last day. That's happened before. Like, the race to the, the race from the bottom to survive and stay in, and everybody paying attention to different things. One thing, where does Nate, a question to both of you, where does Nate hear the score? Thank God tells him. He never, we never hear that. We never we hear it. We don't know how Nate, no, we don't know. Nate just, like, puts his antennae up and learns the score, which... I adore because I believe that he could do that. I know it's believable. If there were anybody else, it would just seem like a silly thing. But I, when I was just watching it a minute ago, I thought the same thing. Like, how does he even know? Cause he just tells him to be quiet and listen. And we love Nate precious Nate. And then Spencer, what is your reaction when we see Jamie streaking down, streaking down towards the, the opposite goal that the only, um, su- the only, that the only surprise is the pass. Like the show's the yeah. show's like saute- the show the show is like cooking on such high heat at that point that you go, okay, well I know they're gonna lose, yeah, and I know Jamie's going to come full circle, fulfill the arc, you know, finally be the like, finally fulfill his talent because it's strongly implied that you know he really hasn't as a result of being Jamie, yeah, where all the things Jamie is, so his journey comes complete in that, you know, yeah, he does help score the goal, but he doesn't do it. He actually does it by um, something Ted told him to do by being the better player by passing and is beautiful. It really is. Like I, I love that they have a heartbreaking moment that you can't be mad at because it's traced directly back to the first episode. It's traced directly back to everything that is at the heart of the show and of the character Ted Lasso. I love that because it's honest it's honest too like the show maintains a painful at times level of honesty and the honest thing to happen there is for man city to win and for jamie to be the better player because again he's the only purely talented character we see he's the most talented character and it's his gift and his curse and for him to pass and do that that's the surprise that's that's mm-hmm. the moment where you go <gasps> No, they did it, right? Even our like Arlo White kind of, you know, they have Arlo White coming over the top just to make it totally clear that you get what happened. Yeah. You know, that he made the extra pass. Okay, it's about a four. You know, which I'm like, I don't need that, but I understand if somebody else watching the show probably, you know, needs that driven home. Um, which again, shouts out to the show, by the way, for for like getting actual announcers. Like I know, like I like getting Arlo in there. Um and making that moment like that's that's actually a very hard thing they pull off which is doing a pretty credible and yet dramatic soccer scene 
and only doing the plays that they absolutely need to do and making it look, you know, reasonable. There's some laughable moments, like when they close up on Jamie running again. <laughs> uh, but most of it, you know, that's that's pretty much exactly how it should happen. Um, and at that point, I remember just being like, no, fair. That's fair. It's not nice. It's not nice. And it's not like what I wanted to happen. But everything that happened in that last scene is completely fair. Yeah. And I thought, where, like, like Alex, can you think of a show where you came away with that? Where you go, man, I really don't like what happened. But it's honest and, like, completely credible. No. It's fair to everyone. I really can't. And I'm not really... I don't know. I think I was bigger into TV shows when I was younger. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you have a kid and you get busy and you're not watching as much. And so this was probably the first show that I really latched onto again. But I think that's the part of it. You're just so torn because, of course, you know, it's similar to the Trent Krim article where he's like, I'm not going to be happy when what's going to happen happens. Like, they're going to lose and they're going to be relegated. It's like, but I'm not going to cheer about it. And I feel like that sets it up for the rest of the season. And it's a show about growth. And unfortunately, one of the biggest shows of, of growth and learning in the show involves our hero team losing in the form of Jamie finally, you know, grown up a little bit and accepting teaching because it's something that's tough. And we see exactly why it's tough, you know, right after that, because again, Jamie Tart's dad, all time bad sports dad. Um, but it's, it's exactly like Spencer said. It's fair. It's it's what needed to happen, and it it sets the show up perfectly for season two as well. And then it also gets to roll into Ted's finest moment, and something that I think it's a measure of a great coach in handling defeat as well as victory. You know, not not just in the sense of being a good sport, but being able to communicate to a team of people who feel the lowest of the low, who you can't say anything that's going to make them feel genuinely better about losing. But how do you motivate people to push onward? How do you give them hope when all hope was just taken from them, from Jamie Tart? And it's, it's the mark of what makes Ted a great coach. And it is the mark of what makes Jason Sudeikis a great actor, because this is a comedy show bred from a funny commercial and it ends with Jason Sudeikis giving this incredible speech after defeat when we're all devastated. Viewers, Rebecca's in there, Keeley's in there, Roy, his career is over, and we leave feeling that belief sign. We leave feeling hope. It's, it's just a, it's a wonderful capstone to, to the season, I think. Now, look, this is a sad moment right here for all of us. There ain't nothing I can say. Stand in front of you right now, that could take that away. But please, do me this favor, will you? Lift your heads up and look around this locker room. Yeah? Look at everybody else in here. And I want you to be grateful that you're going through this sad moment with all these other folks. Because I promise you, there is something worse out there than being sad, and that is being alone and being sad. Ain't nobody in this room alone. And they steal you'll never walk alone. They just steal it. They don't yeah. like don't don't ask permission, don't explain it. They steal the most recognizable team affiliated song um in, in soccer. 
maybe like I, I i don't know if any one team is identified as much with one song as liverpool is with um with you'll never walk alone and to be clear like it, it is wholesale theft it starts playing the minute that goal gets scored and which is hilarious that they don't even like it's not like it's just another team in the EPL like um i you know if somebody gets this far in the podcast hey for the 10 people who care um i have a secret epl team and i don't really like to talk about it because i think you know you kind of i think when you're a fan of a team and you write about them you feel sort of sometimes professionally obligated to do that you know to be present for every game or to say something about every game and i don't really like to do that i just like to watch and kind of just be ignorant half-assed about it like it's it's a pleasure when I get to do that and um, you know, and that team is Liverpool. Like I'm like, I like love that song. And that's, that's the reason I became a fan of theirs. Also they're generally regarded as trash. And I tend to sort of love teams whose fans are regarded as trash. You know, it comes from the soul, Um, you know, even though that's like, you know, that's a really old stereotype. And, you know, everyone in the EPL, again, if you're in the top five or six teams, you know, you're, you're loaded, you got money, yeah. right? Liverpool's, Liverpool's won everything before. They just did it again. <laughs> They're not, you know, this is not, this is not a team that's starving. This is not, um, as I repeat, this is not Blackpool. This is not Richmond FC, <laughs> right? It's not Crystal Palace, right? It's not even Tottenham. <laughs> this is a team that actually wins things. I'm smart. I picked a team that wins things. <laughs> But that also has this like incredibly moving song and, you know, it's almost cheeky the way they do it. But the whole reason it works isn't that the song is, you know, particularly great on its own. It's not It's from the musical Carousel Mm -hmm. and the scene in Carousel where they play it is insane. (laughs) It is not. It's like a dead person singing to a living person. It's not. It's bonkers. And it's not a really good musical. But what makes it great is that everybody sings it together and that it ties into a theme, which is that, you know, and and Ted says this, the speech is, you know, um, there's something worse than being sad. and That's being sad and alone. And Ted goes from being sad and alone to having a series of moments where he isn't, where somebody comes through for him. That's what the entire like first five episodes are are people who assume that they're alone and all they do is just reach out to one person, you know, and that's all it takes to get them through whatever they're pushing through. I'm talking a lot here, but like it's to wind up a finale like this and to do that with such economy. And that is another thing too, that like um, my favorite episode of the show is episode seven is make Rebecca great again, because Mm -hmm. in about a maybe 90 seconds or two minutes they resolve three really heartbreaking relationships without more than like 10 words of dialogue and a song it's breathtaking yeah you just finish it and you go holy fuck an elbow drop at the end of this episode and they do it with so little actual time and with so few images they manage to like solve all of these little threads and this show does that because the scene with jamie to me and this is why i like jamie i know that both of you are sort of skeptical on him but i (laughs) i love him because he's not going to be an easy watch he's not going to be uh 
he's going to be pretty uncompromising in being a pissant who is suspicious of everyone who has gone through enough in his life on a personal level and a professional level that he's always going to be isolated. Like that's the great thing about the character to me. He's never going to be whole. Yeah. He's never going to be completely okay. But Ted knows that. Like notice which army figure he gives him. Yeah. He he gives him the man with the binoculars. He gives him the lookout. And Jamie breaks. It is the only time in the show that Jamie breaks because he knows even in winning, he's not alone. He might feel alone. Remember, he gets on the bus alone. Nobody's talking to him. Yeah. After scoring the winning goal, he's completely solo. Completely solo, right? Even among his teammates, he's not reaching out to anybody. And in that one moment, with the the lookout, little guy with the little guy with the binoculars, and the note from Ted, he moves a step further, right? He moves like one step further towards being human. He's never going to be right next to the fire, but he's he's going to come in. He's going to be there, right? It's like remember he's the one who shows up last to the sacrifice right when they're all burning like a ritual sacrifice right jamie's never going to be the guy who's closest to the barrel he's never going to be the guy who does the roy kent thing but he might be one day like he you know he really might but he's going to be in there and like that's the that's the thing that broke me in this episode was pulling that out i'm like getting emotional talking about it right now (laughs) it's so much it's so good. I mean, Alex, we we kind of talked amongst ourselves earlier this season about like, you know, is Jamie redeemable? Is there a growth there that, that can be made? And I think the, that scene that Spencer's talking about, you know, love to hear your thoughts on this after, you know, we went we went pretty hard on Jamie earlier in the year, but <laughs> this whole episode I think is it's not quite a make Jamie great again episode, but there's so many steps in this one for him. Yeah. And I think, you know, just going to the larger point of um, all the characters being alone in some respect and, and finding comfort and friendship or love in another person, like to me, that's really the biggest part of this episode that makes me just want to sob. And I think the timing of the show too, the, I, the show would have been a hit at any time it was released, of course. But just personally, it came into my life during one of the most isolating, loneliest times of my life. I had no job. We were on lockdown. My only real thing was like, I'm a mom. <laughs> you know, I got to take care of my kid. And it was just the loneliest I'd ever felt, but I don't think I'd really processed that. And this show, and especially the finale, all of that, like when he says, you know, there's nothing sadder or what is it? Um, there's something more worse than being sad. It's being sad and alone. Um, I just, I break down. And so I, yeah, I think that Jamie's scene is well done in that regard because he does get on the bus and he's alone. He's just been chewed out by his dad. And all he has is that note. All he has is somebody in the world who recognized what he did. He's got what Jamie's got two places. He can show up, right? He can show up anytime. He can show up. He can show up to Keeley's. Yeah. And he can text Keeley and, and he's like, okay, I think that's it. But the knowledge that even just one more person's out there looking for him and that Ted's sincere and not messing with him, right? Because he thinks he because he really does. He he thinks Ted is like playing a head game mm-hmm. all the way through it until he beats him. And even then Ted doesn't waver in his belief in Jamie or in his under you know, in his need to have a relationship with him. It's gorgeous. Yeah. It's absolutely gorgeous. And and again, it's another thing. It's fair. I don't think we're gonna get things easy with Jamie. 
Like you're not going to get them easy with that character. You're not going to get the big cracking resolution that you want because that's not how things happen in life, right? He's isolated. He's a lonely, distrustful person. And he's going to stay that way thanks to his daddy. Like that's just, dude's kind of broken. Yeah. And he's going to stay that way. But if he can get just a little less broken, that's why the show's so good. I understand those terms. Those are honest terms. Those are believable terms. You know, not everyone's going to be okay. You're not going to win at the end. You're still going to get relegated, right? Because <laughs> you really weren't that good. And and that's okay because what Ted's, the, the last words Ted says to the team are onward and forward. That's it. While walking under the believe sign. Yeah. You know, that's like, and I think that's one of the reasons this resonated with anybody over the past year because um, it wasn't about, it wasn't about winning. It was about moving forward. And those are two very different things. Yeah. It'd be it'd be criminal to make uh to make anyone pick the best scene in this one. So let's take a quick break. Quick break an hour twenty in and we'll get back. <laughs> All right. So we are we are back and in a series that is not just a, a, a comedy show that relies on one liners and quips, but it always has incredible ones. Uh, Spencer, what was your, what was the funniest one-liner or maybe under the radar joke of this one? What really, what really got you in stitches in an emotional episode? Well, now I want mushy peas. Roy sitting at the table. Well, now I want mushy peas. <laughs> Such a good line. Cause Roy could, Roy could be hateful and Roy could try to think of something nasty to say to Jamie, but Roy's moved forward. Mm-hmm. Roy's like willing to take a little shot at Roy. And it's like, well, this old fart actually does want the thing he said the old fart wanted. I know. Alex, did you have one in this episode? It's not particularly powerful or anything, but um, oh, I've forgotten his name. Who's the new captain? You know, Isaac. Isaac. When he says to him, keep breaking TVs. I just love that. I think that's such a good, it's smart and it's a good line. And, you know, obviously Roy sees a lot of himself in him because Roy likes to break things too. He does. He does. Isaac will make a good captain. I love when uh, when Higgins informs us all that he's what's known as a feminine junior. <laughs> I forgot about that. Ted's look when he looks back at him like, oh. <laughs> I, I think it's been a theme of this season is that we'll go through all the best scenes in an episode and we'll talk and then me and Alex will get to funniest one line or something about what worked and be like, what about this great thing Higgins said? Like it happened last Higgins. week when we talked about his talked about his facial hair. Like it was we always forget about Higgins, just like a lot of people seem to forget about Higgins, but he's just such a he's a dynamite character. I mean we could roll that into who the Lenny Harris pinch hitter award is. Who's the best supporting character in this episode? Cause a lot of people, which Spencer, we, it's pretty much the best non Ted character. A lot mm-hmm. of people in this episode get to get to touch the ball, get to cook a little bit. Yeah. To me, the best supporting character in this entire episode is, um, who is the fan who, um, he's the big dude of the yeah. three fans. I don't know his name, but, yeah, I can't remember. But when the goal, when the penalty scored, he lets out an ungodly scream, like a, <laughs> like a really high pitched scream. That's awesome. He's also like, like that dude is. I know there are other fans in the screen. I'm looking at him. Yeah, he's the embodiment of like he's the embodiment of like us looking at them, right? Like he's the embodiment of the fan watching, and his whole heart is in it, even when they're sucking, even when there's no hope. So, like, I love that kind of, you know, that member of the chorus. I love that guy. So I, I will give I will give him 
full credit as the best supporting actor. Mm. Alex? That was a good answer. Um, gosh, I don't know. I really don't. I think it's very telling, by the way, that every main and supporting actor on the show in terms of the main cast got nominated for Emmys, by the way. All of them. Nate, Higgins, Keely, Rebecca, Roy, Ted, and Beard. Just they're all so good. Cleaning up. Every everyone is so I mean, the whole and we've talked about this, but the whole cast is it's not just a bunch of good actors put in a you know, put in a show and when they get the chance to when they get the chance to cook a little bit, they're good at what they do. It's that the show put in so much effort to well rounding everyone and giving everyone some sort of development and plot arc and stuff like that. It's like they don't have characters a lot of characters that are just solely there for comic relief or a quick laugh they have a there are a couple guys on the team like that but most everyone in really is just six hours of screen time gets to develop and gets to move on and like think of where roy was in episode one versus where he is now like he's my pick for the best supporting character of this episode just because of that walk to the tunnel and that moment with keely but i mean everyone kind of grows in that way it's you could you could have six different answers each episode for the best supporting character in this one. It's it's so good. Yeah, it's strong case for Coach Beard too. I want you to go back and look at the the you get the portrait scene where they're all beholding the goal when Jamie scores and they're all like they all just realize that they're getting sent down and that they've lost. Coach Beard is just heartbreaking. Yeah. It's the one time you see him really completely cracked open by something he has like he is bereft it's it's a beautifully beautifully portrayed emotion <laughs> by brendan so good alex what's the best ted moment in this one i'm just this is stuff that we haven't even talked about yet the sleight of hand magic to make roy pick a captain plus beard's <laughs> reaction to it uh saying god is a she yet another feminist triumph moment for ted lasso um i love all the speeches I, I also just wanted to note that the, when he's constantly talking Jamie up and he's sincere about it, it's not fake, but Jamie thinks it is. It has really like a real Ricky Bobby, Cal Naughton Jr. energy of Cal just having no idea. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, that's that's the scene I'll treasure the most in that movie is when when Cal is talking to his, his the pit crew and he's Ricky. No, he's passing you right now. He's on your left. <laughs> but uh what is what's the best ted moment in this episode alex i don't know for me it's the end when he says ain't nobody in this room alone i just i really love it i think to me it's the biggest takeaway from the finale and yeah i love him we know i love him spencer what about you uh i think my favorite ted moment is when he is uh he is in the game and sees Danny open. And not only does he realize Danny is open, but he realizes that he's on side, mm -hmm. which means that Ted, famously ignorant of the rules <laughs> of soccer, has evolved. Yes. Not only has Ted managed to survive, but Coach Beard goes, Yeah, he's on side. <laughs> and Ted goes, Yeah, I know. Like it just, it is, it is like the, it is the first moment since barbecue sauce where he is just like, he is happy that he knows it, but he is also happy that the thing has come together yeah. for just one second. It's it's awesome. 
It's and it's the that's the epitome of just watching this show is watching everything come together. Like Spencer has been saying, closing, you know, closing loops. It's the whole the whole show comes together perfectly in this one. Um, we've kind of talked about the big chill, how incredible it is to watch the the lasso special goal and the, the speeches and all of these special Ted moments. I think the only thing left to do really is rate this episode one to five biscuits. <laughs> uh, Alex. One to five biscuits. What did I do last week? Was it 16? You did 16 last no, week. We're going to go like 42. 42 seems 42 right. biscuits. <laughs> Spencer? Uh, I, I'll, I'll go uh, an accurate five out of five. Mm-hmm. I think this is the hardest episode to do because the finale is always overweight. It's always, you know, it's always bloated. There's always a lot riding on it. They They landed it. And they landed it, you know, w- without a hiccup. So five out of five. It, I mean, it's a they rounded out everything perfectly. We're we're running long as hell, Spencer. <laughs> before we go, season two hopes, dreams, any predictions? Just lay it out. Um, I hope that we haven't seen the last of Jamie. He's the only mainstay not featured in the trailer, if I remember. Alex, he, no, he's, you would he, know better. He's in it. He in he's tra- in it. He's in it real quick. Okay. Yeah, briefly. Kind of like Roy. Just remember everybody mm-hmm. freaked out because they didn't see Roy in that last one, but there's the one where he's... I, my hope is that Roy and Keely get engaged. I'm invested in this relationship. <laughs> I need it to work out. And I feel like that one clip, the scene where it's Christmas, clearly, and like they're kissing and she's got like the leg up. It's very uh, romantic. I'm hoping that's the proposal scene. My hope is that it just makes me happy as season one did, and I, <laughs> I feel I feel really good about that. Feel really good about that hope. Uh, Spencer Hall, thank you so much for joining me and Alex to wrap up this finale. This has been awesome. It's been a real treat for, for both of us. Tell the folks again uh, where they can follow you and where they can check out your new venture, which I highly recommend to everyone listening to this. Uh, yeah, that would be uh, – you can listen to me on the Shutdown Fullcast or – at our new spot, channel-number6.ghost.io. Um, if that's a lot for you, you can just look at my Twitter bio, at EDSPS. It's right there. And um, I look forward to taking your money. I look forward to giving you more money. It's been an excellent <laughs> venture. Alex, a couple months ago, you answered a DM from an absolute stranger <laughs> asking if you wanted to join in on a Ted Lasso rewatch podcast and you were the best sport you did all 10 episodes with me. I had a great time. This was completely awesome. I am will forever be grateful for you for taking time out of your Tuesdays to record these episodes with me. Uh, tell the folks again where they can follow you, catch your other podcasts, and catch your your work at For the Win. Uh, yeah, so you can just find me at Alex McDaniel on most platforms. I can't guarantee it's good content, but I'm there. Um, and next week, we actually have a Ted Lasso week at For the Win. We've got some good content planned imagine that i've been there six days and we're gonna have a ten last week but uh yeah so follow us at for the win fdw.usa.com this has been great by the way already making your mark on the yeah. website yeah <laughs> alex this has been awesome and folks if you enjoyed this episode of big screen sports please remember subscribe wherever you get your podcast rate leave a review you know the drill baseball fans out there check out my interview series from phenom to the farm that's presented by baseball america comes at you every other tuesday as far as next week on big screen sports maybe we'll release that creed episode maybe we'll have something else not sure but ted lasso has been a blast check out the season two premiere on july 23rd and we'll talk to you next week thanks for listening 
How about I go ahead and address the larger than average elephant in the room? No, I have never coached the sport that you folks call football. And heck, you could fill two internets with what I don't know about football. <laughs> Hold on now. If I were to get fired from a job where I'm putting cleats in the trunk of my car. You got the boot for putting boots in the boot. <laughs> I love that. You know what the happiest animal on earth is? It's a goldfish. You know why? No. Got a 10 second memory. Be a goldfish, Sam. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.